Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us on the show is the president of Lindsay and Lindsay Wealth Management, Christina Orta. Thank you for coming on today, Christina. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So my favorite place to start on these podcasts, because our audience gets so much value from starting all the way back at the beginning, which is different for each person that I interview, uh, share your story with us. How did you get your start and how did you get to where you are today? Oh, I was very grateful. Uh, my father, uh, his second career was being a financial advisor. So he left the apparel industry and um, went to Edward Jones, had his own office with Edward Jones. And he started that in 1996. And then in 2000, about 2000, he, I started working in his office and it was just trying to explore what I wanted to do. And uh see if I had a passion for it. I was always a, a math and numbers and people person and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I started working for him part-time in high school. What is your favorite part of your role? Like if you could, we all, uh, of course, we can't always create every minute in our day to be the exact kind of thing we get passionate about, but um, you get to do a lot of different things in our industry. If you could choose exactly what you spent all your time doing, what would it be? I love working with clients that have not realized how much they've accomplished and that they're able to retire or able to accomplish their legacy wishes and do more than what they thought they could accomplish. And that's just rewarding. That is very inspiring. That's when you know uh, that you're giving back, right? You're making mm -hmm. a difference. Mm -hmm. So you brought up your father, uh, you're in a family business. I am. Talk to us about how there's there's probably pros and cons to that, right? Challenges and opportunities. Share that with us. Definitely was um, both opportunities and challenges. My, my father built a really great foundation. So when he left Edward Jones and went independent back in 2012, can't remember if it was 2011 or 2012, but um, I teamed up with him in, I think it was 2012. And then I teamed up with him in January of 14. And, uh, you know, it, we had a little bit of a rocky start just trying to figure out each other's role. And um, I already had 10 years of experience in the corporate world. So I think the one thing that was great was my dad always encouraged me to make sure that I got my own experience. I was never going to come into daddy's business and just get handed anything. So I'd say that that helped a tremendous amount when we were in client meetings together, that I had my own credentials and that really put us on a good uh, footing to start working together. And we each started to figure out our strengths. That's great. Talk more. I know you're surrounded by a phenomenal team. I've watched you guys do some pretty amazing things like transition in the middle of crazy <laughs> and uh, felt from my perspective, like things went off without a hitch, but I know they probably felt like 24 seven for a while, but talk about your team. I know they're great. My team is great. Yeah. No one prepares to do a broker dealer transition on March 27th of 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. So <laughs> it was planned prior and, uh, you know, I have to say in all things, it was a blessing in disguise because if we had kept meeting with clients the way that we are bringing in new business, 
during that time, I don't know that the transition would have gone as successful. And I don't think my team would have been able to handle the new business as well as the transition. So it was a great time to just pause, focus on reaching out to our clients because they needed to hear from us during that time anyway. And um, our team was just incredible. We've got a staff of eight women in the office and my father. <laughs> so it is, he is surrounded by uh, estrogen and uh, it, he's very used to it. I'm one of three girls. So I'm the oldest of three, uh, three daughters. And uh, just so happens that he's also got a lot of strong women at the office. We've got a total of, uh, there's four certified financial planners now in the office, my father, myself, my sister, my middle sister is in the firm. And also we've hired another CFP in March of this year. And, uh, and she worked for one of the asset managers that we've worked with for about eight years. So it's been a really good transition. And then we have support staff, additional six admin support staff. I know your father and I'm pretty confident he can handle anything, even what you just <laughs> described. So, but it is funny to think about him being surrounded uh, both at home and in the office. Yep. So you brought up the woman um, challenge. It, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, how was it coming into the business as a woman when you did? And do you feel like there's been a change? There's definitely been a change. Um, I started with Countrywide right out of college, and I had an opportunity with Edward Jones and with Countrywide, but I took, I took the mortgage route, and that was in 2005. And so that was you know right in the heyday of the mortgage business. And I can say that <clears throat> I was the only uh, female branch manager. Uh, then there was two in a division of about 16 branch managers in 2007. I was one of two females. And then I left uh, Countrywide and I went to go wholesale for a private equity firm. So I was uh, wholesaling uh, product to the independent broker dealer space. And I was the first and only female external wholesaler. And uh, there was only one female internal wholesaler. And so out of 10, by the time I left there in 2013, there was three female. And so I was very used to being a female in a male's world. I mean, you would think that it was not that uh, long ago, even in college, I was one of three out of 30 females in a, in a uh, equity financial course and business finance. And so you would think that it, things have changed and they certainly have, you go from one to three, <laughs> that's a pretty good percentage increase. But, you know, the one thing I can say is my father did always teach me, nothing is handed to you. You have to work equally as hard. And, and I didn't think of myself as any different being a female in, in a male world and I just worked harder. And I would say that that worked well for me. I continuously have to reiterate that this is a great business for women in particular who want to be moms. Yes. And I know, I know that you're a mom. Um, this offers a lot of flexibility to have it all, as they say. Um, but tell, share with our audience how you feel about being a mom and also in a male-dominated and high-stress environment. 
It is a great business to be a mom. I wouldn't say that it's a easy business to start being a mom. Uh, but I would say that it is a phenomenal business once you have your, your footing and you've gotten your arms around it. That was one thing that leaving the wholesaling realm in 2013, uh, my husband and I were, were planning to start a family, but going self-employed and starting a family at the same time was not something that um, was what we wanted to do. So we definitely put family on hold for a while just to get uh, established. We were married, I think almost nine, almost 10 years before we had our first. So everything definitely got put on hold, but I wouldn't have changed it. And it just gave us the time to focus on our careers and to get this business transitioned and really get up and running. And now that we've got a good footing, I've got a good support staff. I can, I can be where I need to be with my kids. I take my daughter to school every single day. So I don't get into the office until closer to nine o'clock in the morning, but that's okay because I, I can work my hours. Um, doesn't mean that I'm not sometimes answering emails at 11 o'clock at night, but I have the flexibility to be with my kids when I need to be with my kids. Tell us about those kids and, and your husband. Tell us about your family. So I've got a five-year-old daughter. She's going into kindergarten and I've got a 21 month old. She'll be two in August. And, uh, my husband and I have been married for 15 years and uh, we've just, we're, we're done. We got two beautiful girls and we're quite happy with that. What are their names? Paige is my oldest and Peyton is my youngest and Peyton's full of sass. So my second's given us a run for our money, but <laughs> I think that's normal with the baby. It is. I've got two myself and I sometimes suggest that if the second one would have come first, there might not have been a second. So I think it <laughs> exactly. works the way it's supposed to. Exactly. Exactly. But no, my husband's uh, very supportive. He's a, uh, he works from home. He does software sales. He travels a little bit, but, um, but he's able to work from home and also be there. So um, I'm able to get home a little bit later because he works from home. So it works out well. Thanks for sharing that. I think we just need to keep explaining because it's not intuitive sometimes from the outside that there is that kind of flexibility in our industry. Oh, Definitely. So let's pivot a little bit. Talk to us about what the process looks like when you're working with a client. So we are a referral only business. So typically when we get a new client, we have some sort of warm content or referral information, whether it be from an existing client, from a CPA or from our estate planning attorney, which we receive a tremendous amount of our referrals from. So we typically have a pretty good idea of the client's needs before we even have that first initial consultation. So typically it's going to be my staff of the other certified financial planners that are going to look at the initial intake and just kind of peruse what we should need from the client, what questions we should focus on. We then are trying to have our initial consultations if the client's not local uh, via Zoom, and because we do have multiple offices, and then we will do an in-person meeting for the second meeting. We just are trying to be more efficient with our time, just to determine if there's a if there's a mutual fit there, if we can add value to their situation. So we typically spend an hour or so doing an initial consultation, gather additional information, and then Alyssa and Shannon, our other CFPs in the office, will typically take some of that content all of the client statements and start working on a financial plan and e-money. And you work as an ensemble. So clients know everyone. 
We are starting to get there. So it's been, that's one thing that we've grown so quickly with my dad phasing kind of semi-retirement is, is kind of where he's phasing right now. And so a lot of the clients and the growth, they've become very used to me. And so there is way too much on my plate. And now that we've got both Shannon and Alyssa and one of my other staff is getting licensed as well, we're really trying to create that ensemble approach. There's certainly clients that are only going to work with me. However, we're definitely trying to, to bring that ensemble approach. Definitely the model of the future, I think. I don't know the generation of the other CFPs, but certainly younger generations feel, it appears to me, a lot more passionate about working in teams. And clients are very responsive to that team concept. It eliminates the fear of, what do I do if something happens to you? Which seems to really be, right. be a positive for clients. And it really is helpful for clients when they can't reach me. I am way too busy and so when clients can't get a quick response from me, it's, it's helpful to have people that they feel are competent, that know their situation, that um, it's not just me that knows their, their family dynamic or their, their needs. And so I think that that's been really helpful. It's still new to us. So we're still very much in that transition of trying to, on our initial proposal meeting, make sure that all three of us are there or two of us are there so that they feel like they are seeing the team at the onset. Yeah, makes sense. So um, what about COVID? Did it change anything? I know you mentioned that uh, the initial meeting has Zoom. Was that new? Is it something that you were doing pre-COVID? Did anything that you changed, is it going to stay or are you going back to normal, so to speak? <laughs> so yeah, we, we have used Zoom uh, Previously, we've definitely had Zoom as a part of our practice just because we do have multiple locations. So we've got uh, two offices in Northern California and our primary offices in Southern California. So we've done Zoom for some time. That being said, there's been a lot more openness to adapt to Zoom and there's been a lot less need to meet in person. So I, I was on a plane probably once a week, three weeks out of the month. And so I will say that I think my travel schedule will come down quite a bit. I see that probably going to one to two times a month as opposed to three to four. And so I do see that changing. And we have found that doing those initial consultations, especially when we're dealing with referrals, most of them are high quality. However, you still have referrals that you just know are not really a good fit or we can't really add value. So doing that initial meeting via Zoom saves the travel time, saves the uh, extra uh, effort. So I think that that's probably our newest component that we will continue to adapt with is, is having that initial consultation via Zoom. Um, having those referral sources that we've worked so hard to build with our firm, we were just shocked that 2020 was our best year ever. And it was, um, we had a 10% revenue increase. We brought in 30, over 30 million of new assets under management. So it was um, a huge blessing because it's not what we would have expected doing a broker dealer transition, seeing the market drop. We were just prepared to kind of, you know, tighten the belt and plan on a revenue decrease for the year and just, you know, live a little bit more modestly with the office expenditures, but it was the complete opposite. And most of it was done via Zoom. However, we did start taking client meetings, I'd say in about 
July, August of last year, even though we're in California, we just left it up to the clients. And we just said, you know, if you're comfortable coming in, we're here, we'll meet with you. If you want to wear a mask, great. If you don't, great. We really left it up to the clients because what we started to find is that our older clients in particular, especially those that were local, they just needed to see people. So even if they came in with a, with a mask on, they were just needing interaction. And so they would come in to drop off a check and they'd be staying an hour just to have a conversation with our staff. So it was just, that was uh, an interesting aspect. And I'm really grateful that we have a staff that was comfortable just opening our doors and, and just being available to our clients. Congratulations on that success. That's uh, really fantastic. Thank you. Let's talk about your community. Do you think it's important to be actively involved in the community, especially with your referral-based approach that you just explained to us? Absolutely. And I'd say that that's the number one thing that my father has done well and continues to do well. And that's really where I see his niche being as he gets more into this semi-retirement mode of being very active in boards. So he's, he's done everything from, you know, United Way local, the Ventura County United Way, the Education Foundation, Rotary, um, multiple different uh, local outlets. And so I have myself gotten involved in some various local community organizations. I run the Constitution Day for the Rotary Club and sit on a couple boards. And that really creates a presence in the community. And also from just having my dad have such a presence in the community, seeing the transition with those organizations that I'm there too, has made it really seamless for a lot of the network that he has. Absolutely. I, I find that pretty much across the board. And there's something really, I think, because those who go into our profession often are passionate about helping people and making a difference, giving back to their community is just a natural extension of that process. And it sounds like it's the same for you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So I see, I'm trying to limit how much board activity I do because I've taken on a little bit much running the business and being a mom and uh, taking on more of the business in this transition. So I see that as definitely something that's necessary, but you also have to pick and choose to where you see the greatest effort so that you don't spread yourself too thin. Because I think that that's easy to do as well when you're a type A driver and trying to make sure that you've got a strong presence. Uh, I've found that, for example, Rotary is good to be a part of. I'm not finding that that's something I necessarily need to have a board seat. And I don't think that it's as good use of my time. It's not as something that I'm as passionate about. So it's just figuring out also where to take a step back and really plug into those that you're getting the most fruit from that you also are the most passionate about. And uh, that's been a lesson to learn as well as just not being spread too thin. I like to say one of the biggest lessons I've learned is how to say no. Yes. <laughs> that's how I would put it. Yes. And I congratulate and celebrate every time I actually say no. So um, to your point, drivers, we tend not to do that and then start spreading ourselves too thin. And that's not good for anybody. Exactly. Exactly. So earlier you talked about the situation when you're, work, you're talking to a, a prospect and you can tell that it's just not going to be a good fit. Talk to the audience about how you go about explaining that to the prospect. How do you, it's got to be one of those difficult things, especially in a referral-based business because somebody you know that you're probably serving sent them your way. So talk to us about how you do that. Yeah, oftentimes when we're able to just kind of go through 
here's your situation. Here's what it sounds like your needs are. Here's what, you know, we can help with. Here's where we think you need to work on, you know, or, or you're underfunded for retirement or, you know, your investments are doing well on a risk adjusted basis. We probably can't do anything for you from shifting the investments. Your investments are all in good order and, you know, doing the investment. I always tell clients that, or prospects that the investment uh, management and picking the investments is, is the least component of what we do. We're do, we're more comprehensive in our planning. So if you're looking for pure performance, that's not us, but there's some clients that just, you know, that's what they're really, their measure is if they're coming in as a prospect and that's their measure of whether or not we're going to add value. That's where I, I say it just like that. I said, you know, if you're looking for a performance, we're not a performance shop, we're a comprehensive planning practice. And, and so we're, we do a lot of advanced planning with regards to estate planning and business owners. And that's really where our focus is. And so if you're looking just to have a comparison to see if we can run better performance numbers, we're just not a fit. So sometimes we see that or they'll come to us for a particular need. And we might just say, you know, in evaluating your situation, you might be interested in long-term care you really can't afford it based on looking at your overall retirement plan. You're underfunded here. So we just try to just be honest with them and, uh, and let them know, look, we're here for you should things change. But at this moment in time, we probably can't add a whole lot of value to your situation. And if we can't add value, then we're not going to just try to take you on as a client. It's not a good fit for you. It's not a good fit for us. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's a very difficult thing for people to do, especially when they're starting out. But some, again, to our last conversation, even when it comes to deciding who you work with and where you spend your time, you do have to say no. And it's what's best for both sides. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. So you're busy. That's the moral of some of what we're talking about here. You're a one busy woman. But what do you do outside of work? Talk to us about your hobbies and where you like to spend the time you do have other than being a mom and running a successful business. I love to cook. I love fine wine. So uh, I've been collecting wine for a long time now. <laughs> and so uh, we we do a lot of wine tasting. We'll have, you know, groups of friends over, do gourmet wine dinners. And so in my spare time, I do enjoy being in the kitchen. That's kind of my Zen space and uh, and and doing fine wine tasting. So that's one thing that we enjoy. And then I'm very, I'm a workout fiend. So I probably spend a lot of time doing Pilates and my Peloton, but I, we, I do reformer Pilates and working out is just a part of my life. And so I've found that I have to schedule it. If I literally schedule it on my calendar, otherwise my calendar just gets invaded and I need my me time. So that is my outlet so that I can be a good mom and a, a good financial planner. So that's, that's my, my outlet. I think that is fantastic advice that everybody on that's listening uh, can take away some value from. So what about marathons? I did a lot of half marathons and I miss running so much. It's one of those things that as a mom, I found that it's much easier to hop on a 45 minute Peloton ride when you know exactly you can have dinner in the oven, you know exactly when you're getting off the bike, <laughs> and it's regimented. 
but going for a run and not knowing exactly your timing and when you're going to get back. And I am not one of those moms that likes jogging with a stroller. I want my me time. I don't want my kids with me. That is, <laughs> that is my time. And so I would love to get back to running. It's one of those things that since having kids, I really haven't done much of. And so I'd say that that will be a passion I would hope to bring back into my life. But right now it's just not the right time. Got to have goals. Got to have goals. Mm -hmm. So Christina, we're coming to the end of our time. Is there anything you think our listeners should hear about your journey that I haven't asked you? Advice maybe for somebody thinking about our business or uh, other lessons that you've learned along the way? Definitely finding good mentors. I think that that's one thing that's difficult, especially in the independent space is, is plugging into a, a mentor and um, you know, one of the things that the, the wirehouses tend to do well, you know, whether it be Schwab, Fidelity, Edward Jones, they've got a good training platform, but it's not necessarily a space that, you know, for example, the CFP that we just hired, she left the asset management company that we worked with. And then she um, went to Fidelity for a year to figure out that she did want to be an advisor, got all the training, learned how to be an advisor but then quickly got out because she knew the independent space, that's what the space she served. And she knew that that's working with those clients at Fidelity that were saying, hey, is, is this gonna be a long-term relationship? She knew this was not gonna be able to be a long-term relationship. She didn't have the services that she could offer, the comprehensive planning tools. She couldn't be holistic and non-biased and not have any conflicts of interest. So that's really where I think that the independent space, you have to seek a good mentor. And I had really excellent mentors in my life with being a wholesaler, my, you know, former sales managers. And then also uh, with our former firm, I plugged into another advisor that um, was a female. She was later in her career, but had run a successful practice, very type A, very similar in nature. And I flew out to her business in Chicago and got to see exactly what her process is, how she does things, what, you know, things I was struggling with was not so much necessarily on the client facing side, but it was more on the business operational structure side. And so having someone that you can bounce ideas off and having a network is really critical. And I think that that's one thing that I've done. Uh, we've actually created a study group of some other professionals in the space with just other financial planners that are like-minded or have different types of business set up. And we get together and we just figure out what are you doing from an operational standpoint? What are you doing from a client standpoint? What products are you using for this type of need? And having a group that you can bounce ideas off is, is probably the best thing for my practice. That's helped me a lot. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com. That's cambridgestronger.com. We are Cambridge Stronger.